Hey, this is Dylan Playfair, and you're listening to Tobin Tonight. Welcome to Tobin Tonight. It's great to have you on the podcast. All right, on, man. Thanks so much for having me on. How's it going? Uh, how's the West Coast? Things are good. West Coast is beautiful right now. We're lucky we, uh, we've we got a little bit of rain to put a damper on. We've had some crazy fires all summer, so it's good. We got a little bit of rain the other day, and now we're, we're kind of nice, clear skies. And that's good to be back. I've been traveling around for a lot of the summer, so it's nice to be back on the West Coast a little bit. Where are you two right now? Are you in Vancouver? Yeah, Vancouver is home base for me as of uh, as of last month, actually. I just moved back here for a little bit. You're on set now doing a movie, is that correct? Yeah, I'm working right now on a, on a project for Story Hive right now. It's, a, it's called Take It Out. I, I used that as a loose term. I was in the office. We're, we're producing uh, my business partner, and I have a couple of different projects, and one of them is a short film we're working to get funded by Tell Us Story Hive. So we were working on uh, on the script that we've been we've been writing that with his brother Levi, and uh, we're also working on a couple of TV series and a documentary. So I like to keep myself really busy, you know. When uh, when I'm not acting, I like to be doing things that are creative and that and that keep those muscles going. You know, I, I come from a hockey background, so if I'm not training or, or playing. I, I kind of start to feel. A little bit useless. So I'm I'm, I'm a very uh, I'm a very busy person. <laughs> I read growing up, you worked on various sawmills in Fort St. James and on your cousin's farm. Sounds like a typical West Side story, a hockey story, and I, I guess in a way, a bit of what you expect in the West Coast. We had Dean Brody on on Friday, and he mentioned that he also worked uh, on a sawmill too. So, what's going on with the West Coast? Is that like the only jobs that you're finding when you're young? <laughs> They're the only ones that pay well, that's for sure. You know, I, I got really fortunate. My dad had, had grown uh, uh, his roots in Fort St. James, and that's where he was born, and that's where all, me and my three brothers were all raised every summer. It's just pretty much the industry that uh, that exists north of Vancouver. So I, I got the opportunity to work in the mill, and I got the opportunity to work out in the bush. And uh, definitely teaches you work ethic, that's for sure. And then, like I said, it pays a little bit better than uh, working at the gas station. So <laughs> it's <laughs> no. out of necessity. There, there weren't many other options. <laughs> no, I agree. I, I agree. It's one of those things that I read that Dean Brody worked on a sawmill, and I did a bit of research on you and seen the same thing. I was like, okay, there has to be something to this. Like either they're getting really, the money's paying well, or that's the only job out there. You mentioned about playing hockey, coming from a hockey family. You played hockey in the BCHL. The point, I guess you planned to go pro before acting became your new passion. Uh, How close were you to fulfilling that career? Well, for those of uh, those listeners out there that want to do a little research, if they, if they look at my statistics from when I played junior A, they'll see. <laughs> if I was going to go pro, it was going to be as a tough guy for sure. It wasn't going to be as a goal scorer. So, you know, I think I was a lot closer to getting an education through hockey. You know, I, I grew up in the game, so whether or not I was going to play in the NHL or coach in the NHL or, or work somewhere around the league, it was just always an option that I thought was viable was, was professional athletics um, through my dad, you know, and, and, and my uncle both playing the show. And then when I turned 19 and I kind of saw the writing on the wall and realized I wasn't maybe as good as, as I was going to need to be if I wanted to play in the NHL, 
I kind of just translated a lot of the stuff I learned playing hockey into film, and uh, and that worked really well. Yeah, because I, I read that around this time, your dad was working, I guess, with now the Arizona Coyotes. At the time, it was Phoenix, and you made the call telling him like you weren't in, you weren't passionate about hockey, you wanted to give acting a, a try. And I guess his quote was, "Listen." I don't care where you work. I don't care if you work on uh, like dump trucks as long as you have a passion. So how key was it that you had his support and all that? Oh, it was hugely important. I mean, I think one of the biggest hurdles that people have set up for them early in, in any pursuit is support of those around, you know, and, and anytime you're going into anything and you've got the, you know, the support of, of people who you care about, it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. So, I never had to prove to my parents that what I was doing was, was what I was passionate about. You know, they were always asking us to do that, you know, prove to us that whatever it is you're doing, you're passionate about. And, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky that, that my that my mom and dad both had success in a career that, it, you know, it's difficult. It's very difficult to make the NHL and it's very difficult to stay in the NHL as a coach or a player or a trainer or whatever it is. So when I started pursuing acting, which is a career that, you know, for, for most people on the outside of it, it was very difficult. Those conversations were never had with my, with my family. It was always, well, if you love it, then figure out a way to do it. And it was less of, uh, it was, it was, there was less fear around it than I think a lot of people uh, are, are forced to deal with. Yeah, because, I mean, you, you talked about how hard it is to stay in the NHL, but, I mean, it, it does get a little bit easier when you have those connections, and you had those connections, but if it's not a passion, then why bother, like, trying to stick with it? Because there are fans out there that, you know, when Wayne Gretzky's kids don't play hockey, they're like, oh, I guess we're never going to see the next great one or what happens, and sometimes that can add on pressure, but I think when you have your father's support or your parents' support saying, listen, you don't have to follow in our footsteps, it, it, it's like a huge kind of sigh of relief comes over you. Absolutely it does. And, and it makes it easier to put in more effort into whatever it is that you're pursuing, you know? No, I, I agree with You've that. Got- Friday Night Lights played a major part in your uh, changing your career path. Tell us why. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So uh, Friday Night Lights, was a show I got really passionate about. I was about 18 going to my uh, first year junior. And I watched that show religiously on the bus and hotel rooms. And um, one of my favorite characters is Tim Riggins, who I later found out played in the BCHL actually against my head coach at the time. So I started doing a lot of research. And, and he was actually, Taylor Kitsch was actually the person who sort of gave me the courage to make that first jump because I, you know, I, I, I saw a lot of similarities between him and myself playing the league and he made the transition around the same age that I was and he's had a lot of success playing characters that I identified with. You know, the guys on Friday Night Lights were young athletes dealing with with life and, and that's what I was. I was a young athlete dealing with life. So Taylor Kitsch really inspired me. I, I sort of mounted his career and I took the first step and his first step was moving to Vancouver so I uh, I followed suit you know it, it worked out really well <laughs> yeah I was I was gonna say like I when when I read that I said okay I can see the tie-in but at the same time as a joke kind of reference here hopefully it'll make you chuckle but I was thinking like man why didn't he just you know continue to watch the Mighty Ducks trilogies maybe he would have <laughs> maybe he would have looked at the Mighty Ducks and said hey I could be the next Goldberg yeah, <laughs> right. That's funny. Yeah, well, you know, Coach Bombay did teach me a lot of the very important life lessons that I carry with me today. So, the Mighty Ducks are uh, 
very, very integral part of, of the character of Dylan Playford. Don't, don't you worry about that. No, anytime the Money Ducks is on any channel, I'll watch it. But it, it's to me, it's kind of like a, a conspiracy theory that uh, Coach Bombay looked almost exactly like Mike Babcock when he first came in the league, and they and he was the coach of the Muddy Ducks. And I was thinking, like, there's something up with that. There's no way that that's just yeah. that that just happened. A grand conspiracy play. <laughs> yeah. So you know you played other roles on TV as well, uh, but most know you from the Crave TV show Letterkenny. Uh, how did you get that part playing Riley? That part came about. It was one of the most organic parts I ever got, actually. So Gary Kiso and I were good friends. We've been playing on a beer league team out in Vancouver called the Trappers, and so me, Jared, Nate Dale. And uh, Jamie LaPointe, who plays the ginger, we were all on the same team. And me and Andrew were roommates. And we were both actors. And we did the Gordie House story where we played brothers. Jared Kiso and Tyler Johnston had both worked together on the Don Cherry movie. So there was a game where his, uh, Tyler Johnston also plays hockey. And he plays the head skid on Letterkenny. So there was a game where there was myself, Andrew, who plays Jonesy, Jared, who plays Wayne, Tyler, who plays Stuart, and Jamie, who plays the, the Ginger. We were all up playing hockey, and J- uh, Jared had been doing the Letterkenny YouTube skit. So the boys said, well, shit, why don't you guys get the hockey players out and do a little YouTube skit with those guys? So Jared went home and, and over the week wrote up a little two-minute short to, to do with us, and then we went out and shot the YouTube video. Tell me more about your character, Riley, and uh, how the series is going. Because, I mean, people are eating it up. They love it. Uh, I have a roommate that kind of got me into it while I was at Algonquin. He was watching Crave TV, stumbled upon it, and uh, every time that I'll come down to eat food, he's watching it, and he'll be like, come join me. And I'm like, man, I'll watch it later. I got to go up and do projects. He's like, man, you, you can't miss it. It's, it's hilarious. So uh, just tell mm-hmm. me how the series is going. It's uh, it, we're going gangbusters right now, man. It's a really exciting time to be a part of the show. I mean, we started out doing six episodes on pilot at order, and we didn't know how many we were going to get. We thought maybe we'd do six, and uh, if Bell liked it, that'd be awesome. But we weren't. I mean, we weren't signed on to more than six the, the very first season. So when we got the the second season order, it was you know a cherry on on top, and then to to have the Canadian industry receive us the way we did. I mean, we had to go on Crave TV because the language we use on the show is so far out in left field that we'd never get on television without some serious edits going on. You know, we, we, we started this brand of humor that was just really, really honest to the, to the brand of humor that we all found funny. You know, it's the first time that I've been with a show where the characters were flushed out in the first few seasons, you know? And now we have jokes where there's a lot of relationship-built jokes that are happening. I mean, Riley and Jonesy dealing with the relationship with Katie as, as that grows and as that develops, that, that becomes you know, a much funnier, more interesting storyline to follow. And as the, the, the audience is figuring out these characters with us, you know, we're growing with them and we're trying to find ways to make Letterkenny a show which is you know, built off of talking head dialogue. We're trying to build that into a show that can run, you know, 10 seasons and, and have depth and, and, and interesting characters and, and, you know, last for longer than just a couple of, you know, six season runs. So 
Riley's uh, Riley's been a lot of fun to play. You know, Riley is is growing and maturing and, and learning his his place in Letterkenny. And, and with that, you know, I'm growing too, and I'm figuring out, you know, how to be the funniest version of Riley. And and I think a huge part of that is is built on as the relationships within the show get you know deeper and stronger, and we can start to make make jokes that are based on earlier episodes and. People start to understand the jokes as they uh, as they as they watch the season you know, longer and longer. We'll have more opportunities to do more in in depth, detailed jokes. And that's what I like I like your answer there because you know when you look at shows that have gone ten seasons or more, like Friends or a, a Big Bang Theory that's still going long, you see the characters develop over time, and that's what people want to see. Is yeah, they like the early characters, but there needs to be a development of them gradually maturing or like gradually maybe changing an opinion on something so that people can evolve with them and that the the show kind of keeps its main purpose but also changes with the time as well. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, I, I think what I'm really proud of, and, and I, I can guarantee that Jared and Jacob will both second this, is Letterkenny is very fair in the humor that, that it dishes out, you know. And it's a social commentary on a lot of, you know, very, very topical stuff. I mean, the, the, the jokes that we tell are at face value, you know, very, very crude. But I mean, last season we had a, we had a, a an episode about the, the 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 Hicks find out that there's someone that's being homophobic in town, and so they try to figure out a way to beat up the people who are being homophobic. And the way they go about it is so politically incorrect. <laughs> but because their intentions are good, and the intentions of most of the people in Letterkenny are built on these really core good farm values. That we're allowed to do these things that are that are very politically incorrect, but they do it in such a way that I think it makes everyone feel good. You know, we're not victimizing anybody. We're not bullying anyone for the sake of bullying. You know, that's something that I think we're all really, really proud of. Is that the show's smart, you know, and it, and it, and it's been smart since the beginning, but I think it's getting smarter as it as it develops. No, I I totally agree with you. I mean, the the one scene that kind of just comes off the top of my head when you when you mentioned that about how it's equal on both sides is the one where I guess it's your character Riley, Andrew character uh, Jonesy. You're in the car and um, Michelle, whose character is Katie, was coming out and she basically said, "Why did you make me? Why did you make me walk here?" And then you guys both call her pretty much a rocket that she's yeah. she's hot. And then she basically said, "If you make me walk again, I'm going to make you bo- both have." my babies and i was thinking to myself like and and like when she delivers the line i was thinking like at first i was like oh so she's just basically a piece for them but like the way that both of you guys look at each other is if to go like no we're not ready for that then i'm just kind of like oh they're making humor the whole way around basically she's telling them now don't do it again or i'm gonna have your ass yeah (laughs) yeah the women in the show are very very strong you know that there's and that's you know, I got to give a lot of love and respect to Michelle Milet because she's the only girl a lot of the time on set. You know, when when uh, when Gaylor's not on screen, she's got to balance the energy of you know six other men. You know, it's like a, a very big male cast, and she does that with such grace and poise. And I think she's able to do it because Katie does it with grace and poise. You know, Katie is at no point is she ever intimidated by being the only chick in a man's world. And I think, you know, that that's something that, that good film is doing these days. Good television is doing that these days. They're empowering women 
and and they're empowering minorities. I mean, I grew up in Fort St. James where uh, 52% of the population, over half the population there is indigenous. And they love the natives. I mean, the the native characters are some of the most well-loved characters. And it's because they're, you know, they're very in the show. They're fiercely proud of who they are and what they do. They're very unapologetic. And they're they're written in such a way that no one's meant to to feel a certain way about them. They they own their, their presence the same way the hockey players do and the same way the the farmers do. So I think for as much body humor as Letter Kenny has, I think it's got a lot of really, really forward-thinking, you know, socially responsible commentary. Now, we came up with the whole uh, idea of, I, I believe I sent you the poster, if not, uh, that's my bad, but we call this the pitter-patter edition. I want to know, who came up with that whole pitter-patter saying? That's got to be all on Jared Kiso. <laughs> Kiso is the pitter-patter guy. Me and, and Hersey provide the majority of the hockey lingo. <laughs> Jared's from a small town, right? Jared's from... Listowel, Ontario, so he's familiar with the small town talk. No, I was going to say, if you ever do like a cross episode where I, uh, uh, where pitter-patter, let's get at her, I, I would I imagine, I was thinking of a cross episode where maybe like two dorks come to town and they, t- they confuse the saying and they say, pitter-patter, what's the matter? I thought that would be kind of funny. Right. <laughs> what in the writing room? Yeah, I, I would definitely take one of those jobs. What do you enjoy about the show or just acting in general? You know what I love about Letterkenny, honestly, is I get to make a show with my best friend. I think a lot of people work their whole careers trying to find the opportunity to have their work environment reflect their play environment. The fact that we, you know, we get to do Letterkenny. The fact that people love it as much as they do. I think is a testament to how much how much fun we have on that set. So that's that's my favorite part of, of Letterkenny is working with my pals all day. You were speaking of opportunities, and one that I read, of course, was when you were first starting off into acting, uh, an agent basically said to you, or, or it was either to you or your father, like, we don't need another good-looking kid or a good-looking hockey player. And then they kind of showed you the highlight of your dad when he was with the ab, uh, with the Heat, the Calgary Flames team, yeah. snapping, like, throwing the sticks, snapping the sticks, and like, there goes Playfair! Like, and they and you yeah. basically looked at him and said, that's my dad, that's not me, I can handle it. And then she kind of said, you're hired or we'll take a chance. But yeah. how important was that to make sure that you could... You know, because you don't want to dig your dad in a hole, but to separate yourself as saying I'm my own person. Yeah, yeah. You know, that was um, that was after a meeting with Terry Wheeler, who's still my agent and one of my best friends to this day. And she had represented Jared Kiso, so I went in and, and met with her, and she had just had I think three hockey players come and sign with her and then leave the industry. And she's like, "Look, I don't need another." Pretty boy, you know, hot shot hockey player coming in here thinking he's just going to, you know, give it a shot and then leave. Like, I don't want you half-assing this. But if you come in, I want a committed actor, you know? And I just said, um, can I show you something? I, I She goes, no, she goes, I can be a hard-ass, you know? I don't want some another pretty boy hockey player. Like, do you think you could handle me? And I, and I showed her the video of my dad breaking sticks. And I said, oh, that's the guy who raised me. And I'm certain that I can handle anything you have to dish out. So, no, I, and and you know what? Since then, she's met my dad, and my dad is one. Well, I mean, from from the earlier the earlier story, you know, he's one of the 
best human beings I know. I, I love him very, very much, and I owe so much of what he gave to me. I owe so much of what I have to what he to what he did for us. But um, he's a very passionate guy. He's a very, very um, engaged person, as you can see by those clips of him breaking the stick. Then I just basically told my agent that you know anything that you throw at me is going to be a cakewalk compared to what I grew up with. No, I, I agree. Like that's one of the reasons I brought it up because I really like the fact that you know at 25 you went in there like pretty much balls out telling them, listen, like yeah. anything you throw at me, I can deal with it. Now I didn't bring it up to kind of like dish your father. I think that's awesome. I like when people have passion. Uh, actually, like we all have those moments where it's just like you, you lose you lose control. But I just love it when uh, when people show me that highlight. I'm just looking at. It and I'm like I'm like yeah. I would probably do the same thing. I'm like what what do you do? Only throw three or four sticks I'm like I would have thrown the whole bench I would have thrown I would have thrown players off the bench but I, I like the passion that he had for it like the way I look at hockey in general of any coach is when they have that kind of moments of that I'm like look that coach cares if you were down 12 nothing and the coach just kind of shrugged his shoulders then I'd be looking and being like okay you don't care why should I care but yeah no I definitely thought that that story was interesting the last question I have for you here is hockey's right around the corner so you know how excited are you for the hockey season to begin I mean I'm excited I, I obviously I, I love watching uh, I love watching the game and, and it's you know such a huge part of it this season actually it's an interesting time for our family my dad was with Arizona at the start of the season and they cleaned house so they got rid of Dave Tippett my, my dad the rest of the coaches a lot of the trainers, several of the owners. So for the first time, you know, since the lockout, my dad's got time off from hockey. So he signed a four-year extension, and then and then they let him go. So this summer was the first summer I, I got to go fishing with my old man. I got to go spend some extra time at the cottage. He's actually out in Halifax right now helping my, my little brother who plays for Dalhousie in the CIS. He's out there running some practices with the college out in, in Dalhousie. So, this hockey season is a little bit more about family, actually. So my, my mom and dad are going to be able to come out and see the uh, the letter can he set for the first time, which would be kind of cool. I don't know. I might cheer for the Vegas night. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? They, they, they're a new team. They might want to have a few fans. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and you know, I can, uh, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, get on, I'll get on that bandwagon because right now I don't, uh, I don't have a wagon to jump on. <laughs> <laughs> just, you know what? Let's just enter a letter can he team, see how they do. Yeah, exactly. Or here's a call out to all the NHL teams. I'm a, I'm a, a, a the fan free agent frenzy. Whichever team uh, can uh, can offer up the best deal for me as their fan, I'll uh, I'll cheer for them. <laughs> That's gonna do it for this episode of Tobin tonight. Our thanks to Dylan Playfair for coming on the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying, thanks for listening, and good night. You looking to make the most out of this life and optimize your personal wellness? Then check out the Natural Man podcast. Join me, host Mike C., as we explore all areas of human wellness, physical, mental, and emotional. Learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health. Remember, your doctor works for you. Learn biohacks, neurohacks, ways to improve sleep, and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain App, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Hi. 
I'm Connie Teeson, the host of Broadcast Dialogue, the podcast. We focus on Canada and the challenges facing Canadian radio and TV, as well as highlighting those moving the industry forward from podcasting and streaming to new broadcast tech. Check us out at broadcastdialogue.com or your favorite podcast app. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.